We have a special episode for you today. Welcome to another episode of Bloodstream. My name is Amy Board, and I have been lucky enough to be your host for the past few weeks. As most of you know, Patrick and Natalie have been away from Bloodstream for a bit since their daughter was born. And while we're thrilled to share that Vivian B. Lynch is safely in the world, her journey in getting here was unexpected, complicated, and frankly, a little scary for her parents. Patrick and Natalie are health advocates. Natalie is even a birth worker and feel strongly that sharing their and Vivian's story will not only provide a means of processing for them both, but also extend the normalization and awareness for complicated birth stories. They believe in the power of storytelling for good and for healing. And this is Vivian's story. A gentle disclaimer that the following podcast will include graphic language and details that could trigger fear or discomfort. And we know many of you have a personal relationship with Patrick and Natalie, so just a reminder that it could take a bit for them to get back to your personal messages. Thank you so much for your patience, and welcome to Bloodstream. Hello, Pat and Nat. Hello. Hi, Amy. <laughs> Hi, good Josh. to see you. It's good to be here. Yeah, we got Josh as well. Hey, we have the fam, the whole fam. Everybody's here. Viv is here. Russell somewhere. We got the whole fam. You know, there's a lot that's changing around here, and Russell getting shy. That's one of the things that's new. That's one of the things. <laughs> but yeah, we're here on Bloodstream. Viv, this is your We've big moment. Y'all. This is your debut. It's her debut. She's sleeping. She's definitely sleeping right now. We're going to try to keep it that way for as long as possible. It's her best social uh, activity at the moment, sleeping. Uh, thank you, Amy, for that very beautiful introduction. And uh, before we just dive into the birth story, I want to thank you for everything the last few weeks that you've done to not just help keep things moving in my and our absence, but uh, you've added things and moved them faster. While I've been gone for Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month, the episodes have been great. So there might be people who are tuning in just to hear about the birth story, by all means. But I would highly recommend just going back in the feed a few episodes and checking out all the stuff that we've been doing for March, Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month. A lot of really neat episodes profiling all different corners of this community. So thank you for doing that. And uh, it is nice to now be back and talking with you and Natalie and with Josh, with microphones, with one new edition. We've missed you. We've definitely missed you. Well, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> well, let's speak so. We got Vivian B. Lynch. She was born on February 15th, 2021. Amy, I know you already did this, actually, speaking of prior episodes, but she was born at eight pounds and four ounces. She was born 21 inches long, and she was born right here at home. In fact, as we've been fond of saying, she was delivered in the same bed from which she was conceived. So a very full circle-like experience. It was beautiful. Um, it was magical. I don't know how much of it you really remember. <laughs> I remember a lot. I remember the being being in labor was the most intense thing I've ever undergone. And kind of interesting because as a birth doula, I... Um, I've seen it so many times and I've been there and I've held other women and I've held other men um, who are holding their women and um, partners. And so I've been as intimately a part of the process as you can be without being a laboring woman myself. Um, and it is the most transformative 
uh, I, I feel like all my cells turned over during that eight hour process. Like I, I, I on the other side was a different being. Um, you know, I, I feel like the metamorphosis caterpillar into butterfly or like the Phoenix burning down, like those are all like good metaphors, but they really don't, um, like they aren't adequate for this experience. They, I felt like I left this realm to go wherever she was and to come back and to bring her here. Um, and it was incredible. Um, it was everything I had planned. It was, uh, it was here at home. It was, um, great lighting, beautiful soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Great lighting, beautiful soundtrack. Uh, Patrick was such an incredible partner. I mean, um, physically, emotionally, uh, there's one photograph that we have from the day where he, his hands are, one hand is on my sacrum and one hand's on the top of my spine. And like, I just look at it and I'm like, he literally had my back. Like he literally had my back that entire time. Um, and it, I just felt, I've never felt so vulnerable and so, supported um josh was there documenting the whole thing um i had the doula of my dreams i had the midwife of my dreams and it was it was eight hours like what first time mom can say that like mm -hmm. start first contraction to baby in arms eight hours like that's incredible i feel like we just really quickly like shuffled in that josh was there we were like a midwife <laughs> there was a doula we had a photographer josh is here now josh was there <laughs> Josh, you Josh, my friend Josh was there. <laughs> he popped by. It was your it, that was your what third birth as a photographer, Josh? Is that right? Second. Oh, yeah. Okay. Second. <laughs> and Natalie second up here on my wall. Natalie talking about holding other people. I have a photo of that on my wall. That's Natalie right there. Um, yeah, that that was my first experience, and and this was my second, um, and they were two very extremely different situations. As birth can be, I mean, I yeah. I, I think what I've learned as a doula is everyone's journey into this world is different. Um, just as everyone's journey here is different, just as everyone's exit's different, um, but like, I don't know to be. Yeah, to, to have the birth of my dreams and then um, for it to kind of go radically sideways at the end was... I've been at births where things have gone sideways and I don't know why I didn't think that I was... Uh, why that could hap happen to me. So as the day was just going and flowing and everything was happening as it should, um, yeah, things got pretty scary pretty quickly. Yeah, so I guess let's may as well get into that part. So it was all beautiful and going great and according to plan. And um, we knew we wanted to have a home birth for a long time. We did have a total of 21 prenatal care visits with both. Uh, Which, by the way, is uh, excessive. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I never wanted to say, I don't even, I don't know if I've said this to you. I know I've, but like 
there were times during the visits where I was like, do we, why, why do we need to do this? We had a visit with someone else two days ago. It's week 29. What's different? Like there were times in my head where I was like, how can we possibly have to have another visit right now? People have babies all the time. They don't have all these visits. But I was like, come on, this is the first <laughs> child you guys have ever had. Don't put that energy out there. Don't, don't be that guy. And now in, in hindsight, I'm like, we had all these visits. How is stuff not accounted for? Okay. So we had tons of visits. We, we knew what we were getting ourselves into. We had, uh, we were good candidates for a home birth. And I mean, I had, I had a, a pregnancy that you don't even speak about. It was so dreamy. <laughs> and at week eight, there was, which we talked about on Bloodstream, I had a subchorionic hematoma. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I was trying to join the which bleeding is, disorders. Tell us, Nat, tell us what that means for non- It means that there was a, a, a bleed in, uh, there's the chorion layer and the amniotic layer of, of the sac. Of the sac. And there was a bleed underneath the chorion layer. Um, and out of nowhere, one day we were having dinner and I just started bleeding out. And Which is um, just terrifying. Eight weeks. It, it, it was horrifying. It, and it, I was certain... It, I was certain I was having a miscarriage. Um, yeah. I was bleeding out, and there were um, very sizable clots. So it was just kind of like anything that's in there is now not in there, and assuming baby and all. Uh, and then the next day we had an ultrasound, and baby was still in there. So that felt really shocking, and we found out that this is a normal, not normal thing. Like, it happens to a lot of people. It typically doesn't cause uh, loss. Um, I may bleed again. I should be on uh, not bed rest, but what was I put on? Do you remember what it was, Viv? What I don't remember. It? it was just like moderate. Yeah, your like no more surfing. Right, uh, right, right, yeah. <laughs> right. Like don't be a maniac. Yeah, you were on the don't be a maniac program. Yeah. Um, because prior to that, I was surfing, which didn't cause the hemorrhage, by the way. And, th and I think it would, I mentioned this when we brought this up previously, but it was a little um, striking and disconcerting to me that, first off, everything is just called blood. Um, the stuff that came out of her, there were all different shades, different dilutions, different thicknesses, and like some was globular, some was really light, some was kind of thick, and we're just calling all of it blood. That, to me, feels problematic because it's different stuff, and that, that that's a problem. And the other thing that struck me as a problem is the casual nature with which uh, I was like, yeah, this is a thing that happens. Don't do the maniac program. Just keep an eye on things. If we'll keep the, We'll look at the size every ultrasound and see if it should go away by mid-pregnancy. Oh, I can't. I don't even see it anymore. And then it was just sort of like a thing in the past. But that yeah, all just... I had one more bleed at 10 weeks. Right. And, hmm. and then that was that. So as you may be able to expect, this will come back in the story. But that was the first, like, anything that was sort of like, hmm, okay. Yeah. But, but then you move on. slowly, um, yeah, it, we, I don't want to say we forgot about it, but at 20 something weeks, it was no longer in the ultrasounds. We could no longer see mm -hmm. it. They said it was not a concern. And my pregnancy was great. I, like, I mean, I, I did, she was in there. I got big, but I was never in pain. Um, I have chronic back problems. My back felt the best it's ever felt in my entire life during pregnancy. So maybe I, maybe it says I need to like carry extra weight. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I felt I felt phenomenal. 
uh, I had had cystic acne for a long time. That cleared up in pregnancy. People talk about like their wives being like uh, crazy and hormonal. I was like the most balanced I've been. Like according to her, huh? High five. Dad joke starting early. These two. Um, but yeah, like pregnancy was so smooth. I sat yeah. the 10 day Vipassana at 34 weeks. Yeah. December 15th ish. Um, yeah. And I was going on five, six mile walks up until the day I gave birth. Like things were top. Um, and when Patrick said we were a good candidate for home birth, um, we switched to midwifery care at about 20 weeks and everything went really smoothly. It was sort of like the subchorionic hematoma was a thing of the past and, um, also, I should mention in the context of bloodstream too, um, part of our making that decision involved consulting with a few hematologists just to say, hey, I have severe hemophilia. We plan not to find out the gender. We plan to birth at home. Is there anything I need to concern? Obviously, a son would not be a concern. But if I have a daughter, is there anything in particular? And the, um, the very clear guidance was you are no more at risk for a bleeding issue related to your daughter at the time of birth than any other person who'd be having a, a child. It, nothing can, there are things much more common than the symptomatic expression of hemophilia in females or severe hemophilia in females. There are things more common than that that occur that we don't worry ourselves about because they don't occur very often. So when that was made very clear, that was comforting to me. So just to make that point too, I guess I feel, given the sideways ending, I feel adamant about defending the home birth choice. And maybe that's just defensive. Maybe it's unnecessary. But I I bought in and we did all the stuff you're supposed to do. So it feels important to me as part of the story to just kind of reiterate that. We made an informed right. choice. Very informed, very highly cared for very highly followed. I know sometimes people, because of our spontaneous nature, can think we do things in a bit more of a brash way than we sometimes do. Well, um, we talk everything through. Yeah, there's a lot of friggin' prep on this set, so... Um. Yeah, it, it's interesting you say that, though, because I feel like as... When I was sharing the story with a bunch... A bunch. When I was sharing the story with people afterwards, I did feel myself get really defensive of being like, had we birds in the hospital, same outcome would have happened. And it's kind of interesting now to kind of look back and to be like, why do I, ha why do I catch myself saying that? And it's like, because there is this inherent bias. Yeah, and uh, we even faced a little bit of it. In the hospital. I, I feel like we got to get to that part because yeah. we're like teasing okay. the main thing <laughs> too much. Um, so there was... As Natalie went from three centimeters dilated to like fully dilated in a matter of a couple of hours, which is also highly unusual. So our little team, uh, Josh included, went from kind of hanging out on standby, wondering is this going to be a multi-day event, um, to rushing for what looked like it could be a Valentine's baby after all. She was born 25 minutes into the following day. So things escalated. That was exciting. The midwife called her assistant. That was when I knew she was, I was like, okay, it's, it's on. Once this assistant is being called, it is on. Um, and it was going really well. And then as we got toward, uh, here's the baby time, uh, the baby's heart rate started to drop. And that was a bit of a concern. There was also, uh, I mean, not, yeah, not even like, here's the baby. Like I was in, I was in the water 
I was in our tub and then I moved to the bed. Um, and as I was pushing, uh, so the sack hadn't burst. So I was pushing the sack out and it was becoming increasingly difficult to be like, I am not going to be able to get this whole sack out with the baby intact. And then there was a part of my ego who really wanted that because babies that are born in the sack are born in call and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of folklore around babies that are born like that. So there was a part of me that was like, I am pushing this baby out in the sack. Um, but then I told my midwife, um, I've been pushing for 90 minutes. I can't do this anymore. And I asked her to hook the sack. And she did. And when she did, Vivian quickly descended uh, to crowning. And when she did that, her heart rate decelled to the 80s. Mm. Uh, after being so good the entire time, she was... <laughs> you know, 140, 150, 160, where she should be tolerating every contraction for the eight hours. And then all of a sudden there was a rapid deceleration. So the midwife at a certain point said in no uncertain terms and with a real like field commander like energy. And I say that as a positive complimentary. Um, if the baby does not come out on this next push, we're going to have to call 911 for an emergent transfer to the hospital because the heart rate had descended because she had pooped in the bag. So there was also fear that there was now poo in her. Yeah. So like things had to go. When she said that, I registered that as, oh, if the baby doesn't come out on this next push, there might not be a live baby. And there was a brief, brief moment. And I, I don't think I've talked about this here, but I've written about a prior experience with a, a stillborn child. Um, there was, there was a very intense, albeit brief moment mentally for me of thinking, oh, that is why that's why I'm in this position. My life has led me to be ready for something like this. I can be a good partner for Natalie. We can do this. Okay. Didn't see this coming. Like all of that's happening in, uh, less than a second, but, um, <laughs> then Natalie geared up for like, the push and, and we've talked about it since and I know she had a similar take on what the midwife said and then she geared up for this push she's literally to I'm so we're both in the bed Natalie's sitting against me like I'm the chair so my chest is her is her back um mm -hmm. her head is right where my mouth is and so I'm just trying to quietly reinforce the midwife's directions while she takes a breath and gives a hell of a push and just praying hoping surrendering that this push will be effective. Mm. A part that Patrick le left out that was very uh, real to me is obviously we're at home, so I'm unmedicated. And um, the midwife said the bait, like in command style, this baby has to come out or we're calling 911. Um, and in order to, in order to make that happen, I would like to give you an episiotomy. Which is? which is using scissors to increase the vaginal opening um, and cutting the perineum between the vagina and the, the anus. I don't know why I chose the word anus, but anus. That's what I thought you were going to choose. Isn't that like the medical? <laughs> I no think so. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a weird word, though. Yeah, you, you, we don't <laughs> use anus. it very often, but we should <laughs> I don't know, I keep saying it. I'm nervous. What, anus? I'm sweating. <laughs> Might be the um, first time on bloodstream, but it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it is a medical podcast. Very medical. Um, and 
Yeah, I mean, the idea of being uh, cut in those ways uh, without local or any kind of painkiller sounds horrific. But in that moment, I was like, I don't give, I don't care what you have to do. I'm going to do what I can do, which is push with all my might. Yeah. And you cut what you need to cut. And so she cut what she needed to cut. And I pushed with every ounce I had. And yeah, Vivian came out. And uh, it's so interesting. As I was birthing, my mind was switching between birthing woman and doula. Birthing woman and doula. Like I would hear things that the team was saying. And I would like put it through my doula mind. And then I would try and become present. But when she came out and I saw her color immediately. And she was pink. Uh, I was, I was greatly relieved because I knew, okay, there's not a lung situation with, with the meconium. Um, she didn't aspirate her poop. Uh, I, she also was born with a nuchal cord. So the cord was wrapped around her neck. So, um, something I didn't know until, uh, our first midwife appointment when we were home and the midwife told the birth story from her POV to us. And it's like one of those things that's kind of I'm glad I didn't know in the moment. Um, mm. Babies have nuchal cords, double nuchal cords, and are fine. But given all the things that were going on, I didn't need to know that that like that was part of it. Same. Um, and yeah, and she was brought, and we told her to speak, and she was she was grunting and making noises and coughing and eventually crying and screaming, and I felt like cool. Like that was a little scary at the end. The last ten seconds of the eight hours was pretty horrifying um but like there's nothing with more but, like drama that than was birth. the story it's like yeah right like okie dokie like, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you know okay i had to get an episiotomy and later finding out that my midwife has given four episiotomies out of two thousand births i was one of four <gasps> so this wow and the thing is episiotomies are kind of archaic like they don't really use them anymore um mm -hmm. they used to use them just saying like oh Cutting is better than tearing, but my midwife said if she didn't cut me, I wouldn't even have had a skid mark, that I was opening great, and which is also like, I was like, oh, I didn't need to know that. I would have been fine. <laughs> like, but you know. also like, you, but we don't know what would have happened when the 8-4 no. came through. I know. It seems but... like useless compliments that she's giving you. No, but Only it felt cause like. Angst. <laughs> yeah, it caused angst. Um, I didn't but... like it either. Uh, yeah, so we had her on our chests. And at that point, I felt, I mean, I was just like, cool, like, let's go make the birthday cake. Like, let's, <laughs> I was really, I was exhausted. I was exasperated. I was uh, in love. I, I, I was in awe. I was shocked. Um, I was in love. And you weren't done. And I wasn't done. And I didn't really know that. So the placenta has to come out also. It's called the third stage. And it sometimes happens immediately. It sometimes happens within 30 minutes, right? Like it can kind of, um, Natalie's wasn't coming. coming and she was bleeding a lot. So then the midwife instructed her to push and we sort of wound up back into a rhythm like when she was delivering Vivian, like a real geared up pushing, like to deliver this placenta. Still nothing and still a lot of blood. Um, I didn't know how serious it was at that point. Um, and I had, she had, she had said to us in our early appointment, 
that we would have what's called a managed third stage um, and kind of asked for my consent, which is also something that like I would have never consented to an episiotomy. I would have never consented to a managed third stage, but it was. And what does that mean? It means where they like kind of help the placenta out manually. Right. And uh, give you Pitocin so that your uterus clamps down and pushes the placenta out. So the reason at the final appointment she said that was I was in what's called prodromal labor for two weeks leading up to Vivian's birth. Every night from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m., my uterus would have a party. We thought for a while (laughs) that I was in labor almost every night leading up to then (laughs) until it was just like, okay, this is the thing that happens. Um, It's not Braxton Hicks, but it's just it's it's practice labor. Um, so mm-hmm. she was afraid that my uterus would be fatigued at the end of the eight hours. So she wanted to give me mm. Pitocin to just like help the uterus push it out and firm back up right away. Little did she know that the, the placenta was going to decide to stay. So in a way, had she not stabbed me with the Pitocin immediately with the, with the old plan, there could have even been greater blood loss, um... So there was already this plan in place, and then right. the emergency happened. So it, she had what's called a retained or attached, retained placenta. Uh, so the midwife, after talking it through with her, went in to manually see if she could remove it, which is as barbaric as it sounds. Um, when she started, pretty quickly, Natalie made a new sound. Natalie had made a lot of new sounds during labor, but most of them were in the like guttural, grounded, earthy, I'm creating life mf kind of way. This was in, um, I'm being tortured. This just sounded like sheer pain. And so she stopped immediately and she said, okay, um, I'm out of scope. We need to transfer you immediately. You've lost a lot of blood and this needs to be removed immediately. At the hospital. And so someone had to call 911, and that someone was Josh. Josh was our 911 call. So this is is how we bring you in, Josh. Well, I would just stop 911. He was holding a leg. (laughs) He was holding a leg. Yeah, his his job had already increased from photographer to assistant by that point, unannounced. Yeah, which I told Patrick when we were kind of debriefing about it that that actually was putting me more in a comfort zone um, than than like a traumatized zone because I it, like holding the camera and and watching your friends, you know, like when it's a stranger, it's stressful. When it's your friends, it's extremely stressful. Um, and so the opportunity came where there was a, a foot open and the other one was being held by someone. And I just asked Natalie, you know, would it help if I gave you my hand to push against? And I put my camera down and became part of the team. Um, so as a team member, when it came time to call 911, that uh, that was my job, which I've only done that like three times ever in my whole life. Um, and And I hate talking to people on the phone so it kind of went the same way as always, which was like, uh, hello, 911, it's your emergency. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, um, uh, uh, yeah, 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 uh, um, where are you? <laughs> you know, but I, I snapped also... into it and I pulled it off. <laughs> and I knew you would, and I had to resist the urge to caretake as well. 
because I, I kind of had a feeling when Davey, I guess, said 911. Davey's our midwife. midwife. I had a feeling it was going to be you because it was a small team. It's us, it's the midwife, it's her assistant, and the doula, and Josh. So I kind of was like, Josh is going to have to be the one who's calling friggin' 911 right now, telling them about our gate, you know? And we, and like, so there was this part of me that was just like wanted to jump in and say something and help. And I, I just had to remind myself, like, my job is right here. Josh is a capable adult. This is not what he signed up for, but I've been with him plenty of times where we've been in situations we didn't quite sign up for. He's making a phone call. He'll be okay. But it was like, it was interesting to just like be in the position where I'm thinking about Josh calling 911 as we have to transfer my wife to the hospital for the birth. It was just like, what is happening? What world are we in? And that, that kind of lasted a while that what is happening you know, so he calls and then within what, seven minutes? And I was expecting longer because our infant CPR class, they kept reinforcing it's 12 minutes in Los Angeles. Average time is 12 minutes. So I'm hearing about all this blood loss and I'm like, okay, 12 minutes and we got to get there. They were in the house, I think within 10. But there was kind of a comedy of errors too. Like when you say they were in the house. The first the wave. <laughs> EMTs were in the house and they were like, oh, we can't do anything. We're the EMTs. We need the medics. And, and then like, next, the firefighters okay. came. Like, oh, we can't do anything. We need the medics. And it was like, well, y'all, who, when are they coming? Like, you guys, we don't really need you guys so much. So, but anyway, they were all very nice. It went as well as it could. There was some quick discussion around, okay, is Natalie going with the baby? Is Natalie going with me? Are we all going? Am I staying back with the baby? Is the baby staying with the midwife's assistant who we had only met like 40 minutes prior. So I was like, wait, why is she with the baby? That seems like the least part who, but we, we figured it out. Natalie and baby went to the hospital and then in the ambulance, in the ambulance. And I went behind courtesy again of Josh. When the EMTs and the firefighters got there, they were like, ma'am, what's your name? What's your birthday? Who's president? And I was cracking political jokes. I was being, I guess part of me was not taking in the gravity of things because f to survive the moment and to not, like if I knew later what my midwife told me that like uh, how much blood I was losing, like if I was somewhere else, I would not have made it. Um, I was certainly not acting those ways. Mm. No. And I think, too, that's the benefit of a good team and a good plan, because I, in the same way that it was like Josh is capable of calling 911, I also felt like, okay, the midwife is calling the shots on what has to happen next. She has her assistant. We have an awesome doula. We're all in sync. Now these firefighter people, whoever else are here, they know what their jobs are. We're going to go to the hospital. They all have jobs descriptions, and they know what to do. We know the hospital. So I did, I think there was a piece of me that felt very comfortable not totally taking in the amount of blood I was seeing or taking mm -hmm. in hearing how many CCs you lost or taking in looks. Like there was just a part of me that was, I guess I knew I couldn't control things and we had set up the stuff to, in the event of, we had in the event ofs and we had the right people there. So it wasn't until we were then in the hospital and Natalie was in, uh, one of the L&D rooms surrounded by nurses. When I got there, you were in the bed and she was actually in that the little baby sidecar side thing where they're weighing her and doing her vitals. 
and we are technically an ambulance transfer. So even though we, and then they also didn't have the midwife's notes for some reason. So even though they we called had, us like an off the street. Yeah, so we had to do some stuff that was just like additionally procedural and uh, annoying uh, at first. <laughs> um, but but anyway, the OB who was on call, so they need someone to to do what our midwife could not, which is the manual removal. The OB who was on call was brought into an emergency C-section, I think it was. Um, so he wasn't available. Fortunately, She wasn't available. She wasn't available. Fortunately, the head nurse, was she the head nurse or the, I don't know what her title was, but she was like the lead non-doctor person. Um, she herself was a midwife. And then the doctor that they uh, woke up out of bed to perform the procedure arrived at the time didn't realize he had been woke i mean who cares but like i was i'm glad i didn't have that little bit of information i just thought that was a very grounded slow moving person which might also be true and then within a couple minutes of his arrival he started the process and natalie made the same sort of sounds she made only briefly before our midwife stopped except this time there wasn't stopping um he was continuing to work and she was continuing to scream and Time feels so odd. I think we've figured out maybe it was three or four minutes that this is going on and she screams for a break. And to his credit, he did a good job of ignoring most of her screaming and and the things he had to to just keep doing what he had to do. But he heard her when she said break and they made eye contact and confirmed it. And he said, okay. He removed his hand and he immediately said two minutes which I was very grateful for because it felt just super clear. Oh, okay, it's a two-minute break. And thinking it through, it makes sense. It's a lot to go in and out. And again, she's had the Pitocin too. So things are tightening up. So to even get... My cervix is clamped down. ...to her placenta, he has to work his hand through a tightened cervix to start with. That's the beginning. And then start the ripping from the uterus. So it takes the two minutes. and um, And then after that starts again and... She again starts making terrible sounds. Vivian, through all this, is quiet as can be. The two of them are staring at each other, and she's just a rock. Natalie, you're holding Vivian through this. Yeah, Vivian's right on my chest. I'm, I'm holding her. I'm, you know, I don't want anyone to take her from me. And her little head is looking up at me. Her eyes are locked in. She's dead silent, and I am screaming in ways I've never screamed in my entire life i mean share with i haven't us a heard someone make those sounds about what the attachment uh share a little bit about what had happened with the placenta wh- what he was doing so the placenta had attached itself to the uterine wall um and there was which a is thick not normal ba- which is not normal <laughs> um there was a thick band that was like had to essentially be like sawed off with his fingers to get it to come out. So he, yeah, he went into my vagina, into my closed cervix, into my uterus, and then took his hand and just sawed at the part that was adhered to the uterine wall. I had no painkillers, I had no local, and I also had been cut with scissors Um, so his arm, I mean, he's elbow deep inside of me and his arm is like on the cut that we had to make for her to come out. 
I knew that if they if he couldn't get it out, I had to go into surgery, um, where they would cut me open. And they didn't want to do that because of how much blood I had already lost. Like, if they send me into surgery, I might not be coming out. Which at that point was about, was approaching 2,500 cc's of blood, which is about a third of her blood blood supply. And at that point, you knew that? No. I did. You... I mean, Patrick had a view of, of how how much I was, how much I had blood at home and how much I was bleeding. I had insane amounts of adrenal, adrenaline in my body, as well as oxytocin, as well. I mean, just you know, it's funny. I started to jump in, but in um, we were going back through like our phones and messages to try to get some of the timeline together. And because Josh dropped me at the hospital, and then he waited outside, and I communicated with him and. So I was able to go back through and look at some of the timestamps and get some of the the order of events. One of the things I'd forgotten about, but I had texted Josh when the doctor was finished, was that like, okay, Natalie, it's over. She's doing all right. She's at the thanking everybody stage. Because at home, once Vivian was born and was like up with us, Natalie's like bliss turned to everyone in the room and just such gratitude for (laughs) their helping be a part of that. And so when she started doing that after he removed himself and the placenta was out and we've got all the rags and like, it's done. um, That to me was a very, very, very good sign that -hmm. she was okay because she was behaving Mm -hmm. in the way that she had behaved just a little while ago when, you know, quote unquote, it was over. But I will share that in that chair, when he went back in that second time, um, my, I remember having the thought, this just can't go on much longer. Like one way or another, she can't keep screaming like this. She can't keep being in that much pain. She can't keep losing blood. He can't stay inside her doing this forever. I don't think she can go into surgery, but it was just like, there was, I mean, I'm, I'm, down, I'm dancing around it, but there was like a real moment of like, I might lose her. And I didn't sign up for that. And that was also something that I just never thought about. I just never once in the nine months, 10 months, really thought that a possibility. It just, and of course, of course not, I guess. And that doesn't matter. Like that's still, that's still some people's stories who don't come home with their wife. But it wasn't until that moment, because until that moment, there was, there was, there was adrenaline. There was, we had a baby. There was things to do. I'm with Josh in a car. That feels familiar. I got to try to not get kicked out of this room. Here's a chair. I can sit here. I participated with some of the stuff with the baby when she was in the baby mobile or whatever. But then it was just time to be, and um, that was terrifying. That was feeling that helpless. Um, that was hard, and that took a, and that took a couple of weeks to even like set in emotionally, and I think too, kind of going back to where we started in the beginning, there was such survival. I mean, then we don't have time for everything. We also left the hospital, and her hemoglobin count was less than seven. She probably should have gotten a blood transfusion. She didn't. It wasn't even recommended. It's a whole story. So we were on a really aggressive blood building diet and bed rest regimen and like in real capital S survival mode for a couple of weeks. And I'm taking Vivian to 
appointments in the car by myself being like, I mean, this two day old, <laughs> here we go. And it was just, there wasn't space to think about the loss or to feel the loss. So after talking it through with numerous people, our midwife, therapists, um, then there was a moment where it felt more real. And then on the couch, maybe like, I don't know, 10 days ago, something like that, a week ago, um, was like, that, that was the big sort of, I don't know, release that felt to me like the, the, something finished, you know, like something in the cycle was, was allowed to complete because we were safe on a couch with our baby. There wasn't other people in the house, which has been really, really helpful to have our wonderful vaccinated parents fly in and help and to have some extraordinary friends come and make meals and clean and just especially in that first week but there's also just been a lot of other energy around so it was finally a time to kind of acknowledge how scary that was and um you know i'm i feel bad even saying this because i love this peanut and um i'm really excited about everything to do with this peanut in that moment, in my mind, the thing that was racing through, though, was like, I, this is not a trade I asked for. I don't want this trade. I think the part of my brain that was trying to like silver lining, you know, where there's a baby, it was like, that's not going to cut it. Um, and that has nothing at all to do with you, sweet Vivian B. It has everything to do with my love for your mom. But I do. I felt bad having the thought, but I, I got to be honest, so. And you made it because you're super, super, super strong. And we did have a good plan. And we did have good care. And we got lucky. We got lucky. Because it's not everybody's story. Um, <laughs> as Vivian starts to pipe up. I mean, there's... I said to our midwife uh, just a few days ago, if Natalie had died and we had had all of this prenatal care we've got we've got friggin chrissy teigen's obgyn we're in los angeles he, he's in beverly hills we've got this great 2000 deliveries from this midwife she's a birth worker i'm a health advocate like you couldn't and and this went the way it went if she had been lost i'd be I, i'd be a nightmare i mean i think what i said to her is i i would have to be locked up i don't know where but like i I couldn't accept that reality that with everything that we had done to prepare for this, that, that somehow this could have just kind of gone completely undetected, unforeseeable. As it turns out, there's research to suggest, albeit not a ton, that there is some sort of connection between subchorionic hematomas and retained placentas. It's a whole thing. This is not a birth. That, that's a whole big topic. But I, as a human person, couldn't accept and still have can't really, that in 2021 in Los Angeles, that we're just unable to put these pieces together in such a way that it becomes literally life-threatening. Um, you know, we were on a call yesterday about a project related to uh, maternal death and women of color. And in Brooklyn, I learned yesterday, uh, if you're a woman of color, the maternal death rate is 11 times higher than if you're a Caucasian person. And it's like, 
This is insane. So I understand some of this is a mystery and we don't and we don't know it. I, I get to a degree that's true. But we must know enough to do things like dig into an 11x disparity in the care. We must know enough to be able to take research on something that is common enough, a subchorionic hematoma, and like run through the options of like, what might this be connected to? What might we want to be thinking about as opposed to hearing, oh, it's blood, it's all blood. We don't know why it happens. Keep an eye out. You know, the casual nature of that thing that didn't sit well in the beginning. Now it makes sense to me why it didn't sit well. And, you know, as an advocate too, I've, I continue to go through so many, you know, should I have done something differently there? Should I have said something here? Should I have pushed there? Should I have fought back on that? Should I have done this? And, mm -hmm. you know, it's so friggin' hard, but I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful we're fine. And that's the other thing too, right? Like we had to start the story too, where it belonged. Here's Vivian B. She's great. We're happy. She's want, she's a wanted baby. We're happy to have her. <laughs> she's entering a world of love and she'll be very cared for and supported. And Natalie's doing well and is on a great path. But it, that's not the whole story. And I think, I, I know I've, I've been slow to want to talk to friends about this, let alone post about this, or frankly, much at all on social media for the last month, because I just haven't known how to like operate wholly and truly and to answer the thing everyone wants to talk about in a way that feels appropriate. Because aside from the pleasantries of people want to hear the good thing, tell them the back of the baseball card, nice stuff and move on, like, sure. But also if no one talks about the stuff they experience, and if no one gives voice to the really painful parts that this process can present, then that's a huge disservice. So I've been trying to figure out how to be like the, the health advocate I want, the husband and father, the professional while also trying to just make sure I'm doing what's serving me best. So mm -hmm. that's something that I think I continue. Like, I don't, I kind of don't know how to have casual conversation. Yeah. Like I don't know how to talk. If it's not about basketball or work, then, um, I guess it's about Vivian and our house. Like, I just don't know how to talk about anything else. I've, I've stopped listening to other podcasts. I've stopped watching other stuff, you know, like, it's just, it's just been hard to escape a little bit. This has turned into like a therapy session for me, guys. Thank you. This is like, this is good. I have to think, you know, I'm not, I'm not a medical professional, as we say on Bloodstream all the time, but I have to think that there is, that that's very normal to have a very intense experience. Um, not, not just a, a physical near death terror experience but just an experience of life where you um you kind of enter into a spiritual world of um you know life and death and you know some of these really intense places that we don't we we, we don't live there it's it's not um a comfort zone day to day and i just you know from my chair i what what an opportunity to deepen, you know, I, I think both of you to deepen in your relationship, to deepen this relationship with this baby. Um, I don't want to discredit anything, but just to give yourself, you know, the patience and um, what an opportunity to, I don't know, uh, just uh, to push into it a little bit. 
And it feels too now at this point, like it's, she was 20 or excuse me, uh, four weeks on Monday. So we're recording this on happy St. Patty's day. We're recording Wednesday. It'll come out Friday. Right. So she's, uh, Oh, hello. She's just a bit over four weeks at the time that this is coming out. And it does now feel like to your point about pushing into it, Amy. And like, we're now, I feel like we're just new parents with a new baby who's got this feels like early postpartum th- this not like right having working through trauma trad not not tragedy because nothing tragic happened but like it almost felt like when people are like oh yeah that first little bit that shit's hard right and it <laughs> i want to be like uh-huh but this is like i think that's been part of it too for me is like i, I haven't wanted to hear like I haven't. I know people are saying those things. This to connect. now feels like the sleep deprivation, like right. a month in, right. like the normal, right. like who doesn't this. sleep and cries a lot. Right. <laughs> yep. Right. Like, this feels like a whole other layer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Like normal, like a normal layer, not recovering from a shark attack, kind of yeah. like on top of it all. Yeah. So, so that's that's been. That's been really that the, it, it's good to be at this state. And literally, she dropped her mom off at the airport hours ago. So we're like, we're just sort of entering the part where it feels like there's breathing room and not some lingering terror or worry that if we miss a bone broth or, you know, if we don't get the next chicken liver or if she doesn't, you know, sleep for this three hour stretch, like <laughs> we're a little bit past that. So that. That feels nice. Nat, how have you been processing? What has this month been like for you? It's been hard. Um, I mean, I'm experiencing postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. Um, Two things that feel very foreign. Um, Like I'm not an anxious person. I'm not a depressed person. And not that there's anything wrong with those things. That It's just like so not a part of my... uh, not postpartum experience that I don't have, I actually don't have tools for them. So I feel really ill-equipped. I feel like I'm physically healing. I'm emotionally healing from trauma. And then I have like these conditions that I'm not normally moving through life with to layer those other things I'm trying to navigate. Like I think it's hard to move through uh, normal life with anxiety and depression, but like I'm, you know, my nether regions are, uh, postpartum (laughs) and, uh, and to a more extreme than like a typical birth. Um, and the manual removal, when Patrick describes it as barbaric, um, like I like to think of myself as a really tough person like I like to tell people I played rugby in college I like I'm which she did she doesn't just like to tell people (laughs) it it's a true thing it's not a lie (laughs) but I like I push physical limits um I I have never experienced the intensity I would go through unmedicated childbirth for four weeks in a row before I, I I mean I can't even compare I would do anything other than go through that again. Um, 
It was violent. And, and, and the worst part is it was necessary violence. Like it was violence I was consenting to because I knew if I didn't, I would lose my life. Like I had to take it to live, which, um, yeah, I just don't know how many like life circumstances there are where you like have to like undergo that kind. I just, I like, I don't, I don't know if I would have been able to do it without like such a reason to live. Like she was right on my chest. And I was looking at her, and I was looking at Patrick across the room, and and I just, like, with her being so quiet and looking at me, I just really, really felt, and I'm not a religious person, but I just felt like God was on my chest. Like, I felt, like, the divine coming through her and being like, you can do this, and it's okay, and you can do hard things. Yeah. So processing that's been really challenging. Um, to be physically healing, to be feeding someone exclusively from my body every two hours while I'm physically healing, to have not slept more than three hours in a row in four weeks. Um and to be severely, severely anemic. Um, and if I never see another chicken liver again. <laughs> your ability to just eat that stuff, I, I, that to me was as impressive as your surviving the <laughs> removal of the retained placenta. Three times a day, have you ever had to have chicken liver three times a day for three weeks? Absolutely not, never. I've never Absolutely. had to have it once. Uh, never, well, never try not to have traumatic birth. That's all I can recommend. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, but if you do, you're going to have a lot of chicken <laughs> liver and it's not, doesn't smell good. Russell loved it, but, uh, we were just squeezing any, and I can't cook worth a damn. So unfortunately it's like I'm squeezing lemon, just like throwing a little barbecue sauce in there, <laughs> try to stir it up, you know, like something. Oh Lord. So yeah, you know, parts so of this been... were hard to listen to, but listening to your description of cooking is maybe the hardest part of this whole yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah. One hundred percent receiving fear and discomfort is is a level of discomfort. I had thirty five years before baby to try to learn how to cook. Didn't happen. I apologize. It's been made very clear why that would have been a helpful skill, and we're just gonna have to do without, or just really develop a love for barbecue sauce, <laughs> which I have. Um, but yeah, it it's it's been hard. It's been. Um, like the first week I was so out of it, waking up 3 a.m. Um, and being, being on bed rest for the first two weeks was really hard because Patrick had to take care of me and a newborn. And I felt really frustrated because I had been looking forward to this, like, I had been looking forward to the sleep deprivation period. I had been looking forward to like, like, okay, we're going to be tired. I'm going to be healing. But as a doula, I know what that healing looks like. It's not easy. I, and any mom who's listening, even if you had the most streamlined experience, it's really hard. That's why there's doulas. That's why there's people cook food for you and family comes and helps. Like, it's not easy. But I thought I would be like, 
as well prepared for it. I had all my baskets made. Like I had done all the prep. A lot of baskets. I had, I had done. I had the ice packs made. Mm-hmm. I had done everything. Um, and so it was hard to be in bed at 3 a.m. watching Patrick, like, not know the drawers that I had organized so well. And and to be like, which way does the diaper go? To Did like, I ask you that? Yeah. I don't even remember. <laughs> I will say, on the diaper front, though, I forget. I don't remember when this was. But oh, I there, know what he's going to say. I know you do. There was a point where... Uh, Natalie informed me that she's, or whatever, she's like, oh, that's only the second diaper I've changed. We were like 10 days in, it was the second diaper I've changed. And I was like, really? Because he was so on it. He was... I had no idea. I wasn't keeping track. I was like, I've lost that sense, but, you know, I had a good streak going. He, I, I mean, I was on bed rest, so he was doing everything for her. Um, and then I had to, like, watch, knowing, like... Like I was, I was both in awe and so grateful, but I felt like I was missing out. I was jealous, as weird as that sounds, and like I wanted to get to know this baby who he, who was getting to know Patrick a lot faster than me, and and I was I was breastfeeding, but that was, and I don't want to say that was all I was doing, but he was doing everything else, bringing me the baby. I was breastfeeding, and... Um, Though, as it turns out, breastfeeding's kind of the baby's favorite thing, so if you're the person who does that, all that other stuff is second shrift, as I've come to learn. Mm. And, and mm. she, you know, he, he was taking her to the pediatrician by himself, and, like, I thought that was something, like, that we would be doing together, so I'm on FaceTime sobbing hysterically. <laughs> While she's crying While in the she's room, crying. and we're trying, like, the doctor's Patrick, like... <laughs> there's, She's in diapers, I'm in diapers, she's sobbing, <laughs> I'm sobbing. Patrick's running around like a chicken with his head cut off. I'm good at that. After he just thought he was going to lose his wife. And yeah. so the first little bit was a real fucking disaster. <laughs> and then when I finally was able to get out of bed, I was doing the, the night feedings and I'm sitting in the rocker with her and I'm having audible hallucinations like I'm hearing things that aren't there I'm having such a crazy anxiety I'm so sleep deprived um and then I'm looking over at Patrick who's snoring now because he's just been like taking care of two of us for two weeks and I'm feeling murderous like oh my god this six hour stretch like oh so angry at him but also like being like this dude totally deserves to sleep he's been taking care of two uh, two people who can't do anything for themselves for <laughs> 10 days. And then I broke down and I called my mom and I just started sobbing hysterically. And I was like, I need my mother. She wasn't supposed to come out till this week. And I said, I called her and I just said, can you come out? Like, I need, I need you. Um, and she came out and she, she didn't even come out as a grandparent. She came out as, uh, a cook a housekeeper, a nanny, a dog walker, like, uh, I mean, she just was, she was every, like, she filled every role in the house so that we had the opportunity to stay in bed and, like, get to know her and to connect. Because there were moments in the first week, too, where he's running around like a chicken with his head cut off. I'm recovering from physical and emotional trauma grabbing him saying like can you just come in bed and process with me i'm losing my mind mm. i feel i felt like i couldn't heal without having my person 
and my person mm -hmm. was doing all the other things, mm -hmm. keeping all the trains moving. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm struggling more than I've ever struggled in my entire life, and all I need is you. There's literally not a postpartum doula, there's not my mom, there's no one who can like do what I need you to do for me to heal. And he was like, I can't. Like I have, I have all these other responsibilities. We have a baby. And I felt, in that moment, I felt really abandoned. I felt really alone. Mm. But I also like felt a lot of empathy for what, what he, he, he couldn't stop to process with me because he couldn't go to where that would require him to go to without shutting down completely. And that's what we had a week ago when we were on the couch and that moment he, he referenced earlier where we could actually talk about it for the first time because it is like, it was really intense and it, it is really intense and, and without a little space and without a little time and without a little help making sure the trains are moving, um, like we couldn't do that. And I felt like I can't heal until I have that. And I was just in so much physical pain and he was helping with all, all the very practical aspects of that. And it felt frustrating to be like, but can't you do it? And I think at one point you said, I'm driving a car and juggling chainsaws. Like, I don't know what else you want me to do. <laughs> and I was like, I need more than that. <laughs> and I know that's ridiculous to ask of someone, but there are just moments in partnership where you're just like, I get it, but also... Um, and that's when having the grandparents and other people then like, someone else could drive the car a couple other people could look at chainsaws and then there was space and time enough and, and part of that could have been defense too but it, it also just practically speaking was uh just wild i mean yeah just... when i was breaking down sobbing and he was like what else do you need and i was like i need to be held i literally need you to get in this bed and just hold me for 40 hours while i sob while I like process everything and sob. And he was like, that doesn't fit in the schedule today. <laughs> and I was like, um, you know, and also that's really hard to fit in a schedule when uh, you have a newborn. Like, right. the, you know, we've had these wonderful years together where if someone's having a rough day, we can just turn, shut the world out on a Sunday and just like heal together and be together. And like, that's not an option when you have someone who's trying to be on your boob every 90 minutes. And I can't imagine life without her. And there were moments in this last month where I was like, we had it really good, what did we do? <laughs> and like the guilt you feel for even a nanosecond of that kind of thought is horrible. But like, I, I, I am pretty certain every parent goes through some second of that where it just feels so so overwhelming mm -hmm. that you're just like shit and then there's just like these amazing moments also i just have to call out this is the longest stretch she has been this i was about to say she's kind of like she's incredible i think the key every is, parent who listens or watches this is going to be like a uh, dream child y'all <laughs> here's the trick just make sure they don't sleep the night before the podcast interview yeah, last night was a nightmare. And then you'll be fine, you know. <laughs> so she's she's having her night right now, which is amazing. Uh. I just can't help but think that this is such a, I mean, this is what every new family and new parents go through, but 
you know, you guys are entering into a new normal and um, no one can prepare for it. And what a humbling thing that, you know, to work in this and to have it be your passion, which I know that it is. And what, you know, what a slice of the human condition to just know that you could never prepare for this um, in some way. And again, I, I just... I, and I've, I've said this to you before, but I'm really impressed that you are processing this together. And, you know, it might take a while and you guys might feel very messy and clunky, but I feel honored that you're sharing it with us as your friends and, and now, you know, with, with the community. But I, I just, um, you will be for the better for it. And I think we will too, just inviting everyone in. I, I, just, I just really respect you. Thanks for saying that, Amy. I really appreciate that. I really do. It's yeah. It, it is wild for it to be my profession, and to, to I I go to part, postpartum visits where families are tired, and um, I think there was something I brought as a doula not being a parent before that was really helpful, and I think there's going to be things that I bring as a doula now being a parent that are going to be different mm-hmm. and helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's a really interesting interesting experience and and what what's interesting too is like what traumatizes one person isn't what traumatizes another person like I've been in rooms before where I've processed with families after where I thought the birth went really really well and there was like one moment where the doctor said something that like really messed with the woman's head or the dad was brought back you know there were even in Vivian's birth um I mean we didn't mention this but she came out with two cerebral hematomas um that were that happen that just happens sometimes not the molding that normally happens but like two pretty big hematomas um so not only were they unable to stop my bleeding um but vivian had two pretty intense bleeds on her head and like hollywood wouldn't write that for this family um it's just too on the nose. It's just too... Too bloody. It's too bloody. Um, and, and traumatizing for Patrick just with his history of loss. Um, and her hematomas have reabsorbed. And her head looks great. But yeah, that's three, three pediatrician appointments without me just to observe them and measure them and make sure they went down and absorbed back in. And so there was even a few small health concerns with her at the beginning that were while everything was going on that felt a little scary. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Amy, you mentioned too, like the community and people who listen to this, um, it was funny when I was like thinking, am I really going to ask Natalie if she'll do a damn podcast with me? Like of all the times in the world to be like, hey, can we work this into the schedule? Like, how about we do a podcast? But when thinking about um, the story and, and this experience, I mean, as a producer, like wh- why do we have this if I wasn't going to talk about this and if I was going to talk about it, I would prefer if we were talking about it. So, Hey, Nat, you want to do a pod, you know, but there's definitely like the part of me that was like, I'm not really making this ask, but it felt as though this is why, like, 
this is the, this is the reason. There are certain times where the reason for things we do are more apparent than others, and this feels like one of those times to me. Um, a related thought that I think I just want to call attention to. I know there are a number, I, a lot of people who are listening who did receive information at the time of their delivery of a child or immediately after about a diagnosis or something else that was undesirable. And I am sensitive to that. And I'm aware that our story has a a really good we're in a really good place i'm very grateful for that but i do i do want to make i just i guess for my own self-consciousness for those who would love to have the headaches that we have had as opposed to whatever you may have had instead i under, i i hear that i hear that and um i also know there's there's space enough for everyone's story and for vivian's story and all that it includes to exist and it's important that it be shared, but I am aware that there are a lot of folks in the rare disease world who didn't intend on being here. And um, I think in the way that Natalie just said, her work as a doula will now be differently well informed by her experience. I think my appreciation and thoughtfulness for those parents has a new it, it's 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 different for me now i guess is what i'm trying to say so i just wanted to call attention to that and um and and thank you to everybody who has helped support either through sending messages or all the people who have helped in our lives just, like it really is such a team effort um and we have felt it too so thank you to to everybody um it is cool. Like new life brings <laughs> like such community, um, just an outpouring of love. And it's like, we all, I mean, yeah, everyone rallies around a baby and it's, you know, part of the reason I do birth work is it, it is the ultimate act of hope. Babies being born are that that like there's a reason to keep doing this there's a reason to keep living there's a reason to keep perpetuating our species and i think everyone sees a baby and sees that hope and it is it is really beautiful to just like receive to be in a place like such a place of receiving right now and such gratitude mm -hmm. um and and to, to feel to feel deserving of of receiving like I think sometimes that's hard to do too to to really be like I to, to say thank you to accept help yeah to um, to ask for help to yeah. call my mom to call mm -hmm. some friends mm -hmm. and be like I'm or for when someone to ask how, how I'm doing to say I'm doing shitty <laughs> I'm struggling that's how I met you that is how we met, actually. <laughs> At another time when I was doing shitty. And I was um, like, oh, she's honest. I like her. And here we are. <laughs> but yeah, that in those moments to just be able to be like, I've been better. Yeah. Um, and don't let this dry shampoo fool you. There's like a pound of dry shampoo. Got sweatpants on. I'm wearing a diaper. Um, mm -hmm. I tried to get a little camera ready, but this you is... You did really well. <laughs> 
I think she did very this well. This is a not the typical day in day out postpartum look in this household. Is there a before Miss Vivian uh, definitely lets us know that we're running long? Is there anything that you didn't say or want to say or have some space for? Um, I mean, I'm just excited to see who this person who Vivian B will be in the world. I'm excited to, um, I'm excited to share her birth story with her one day and her birth story is amazing. Her birth story is an eight hour journey in this house. Exactly how I, how we imagined it. Um, and when we talked about a home and we birth- got the pics to prove it courtesy of Mr. Bragg. <laughs> um, when when I first said I wanted to do a home birth, I had said to Patrick, um, I will only do a home birth if you do your research and you buy in because I want you to want this. And I think now I look back at how it went down and I was like, thank God. I wasn't just like, this is how we're doing. I've always wanted to do birth this way. This is how we're doing it because I think you'd feel very differently. But you did do your due diligence and you, we were on board. This was how we envisioned it. And I, and I will say, there, when the moments weren't, uh, when things were scary, there was zero resentment or sense of, I didn't sign up for this or, and that was, I'm just, I was glad to note that, you know, that um, there was no sense of like, my agency or whatever was not accounted for in this. Um, it was like we both, these were mutually made decisions, well-informed decisions. And now we're just in it. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. important. That's and I important. guess one other thing I want to say too is my professional doula brain. So since I've been healing mentally and emotionally, I've been doing a lot of research because uh, this was something I was not really well informed on and found out that a lot of people aren't well informed on it. Um, ended up sending a uh, scholarly paper to my midwife who now is changing her practice. She is not going to take anybody for home birth who has had a first trimester bleed. So my subchorionic hematoma um, will now not make people eligible for care with my midwife. I, I I think there are probably midwives out there who will still provide Certainly, care. Yeah. Um, so she's changing her practice after what happened to me. And so in the program notes, we can put the articles from the American College of, um, from ACOG, Obstetrics and Gynecology, about subchorionic hematomas and retained placentas for anyone who's interested. Look at you in postpartum talking about program notes. Like you're you're more with it than maybe just a pro. Yeah. Huh? She's a pro. It, like notes. two hours from now when I'm like sobbing and having a mental breakdown and saying that I'm a bad mother and that I should be locked up and I'm crazy. Sure, but right but now. Right in this moment I've got I'm on my game. <laughs> but yeah, that and um, I, I've connected with other people who have had this situation before and um, it is interesting to hear hear their stories. Um, and moving forward, uh, if we decide to have another child, um, it'll be an interesting hospital birth. Uh, or birth center connected to a hospital, or we'll get to all that. We'll get to all that. Yeah. Uh, Josh, I know you're going to, uh, in lieu of our, han- our, our handy, that's not the right word, in lieu of Greg, we'll just say his name, that you'll be editing, and I'm sure you're not looking for this to get much longer, but is there anything in particular that 
you haven't gotten a chance to say or is on your mind, I would just love to hear hear what it is. If so, and meanwhile, look at this. <laughs> Hi, babe. The ring light is really um, too much for her. <laughs> yeah, I just, um, I think the thing that really stood out for me in this entire process was like how connected, how deeply connected and gracious you were to each other during the birth and during labor. Um, it just was like really incredible. Cause you know, you see the Hollywood version all the time of like the husband trying to help and fainting or the husband trying to help and the wife being like, get the bleep out of my bleeping face, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there was some of that, but it was always followed with because I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing this right now and that's not helping me. And like, like Natalie, you took the moment to explain the situation and the feelings you were feeling so that Patrick could be better supported. And Patrick took no offense to anything that happened um, and just was there and present for like, okay, I have to do this thing. Absolutely. Oh, I have to do this thing now. I'm not doing this thing now. I'm doing that. Okay. Got it. You know, it just was like a perfect <laughs> balance. It felt the entire time, um, which is not me being like nice. It, it really was that, that nice so you guys that's are incredible cool. that's it's nice cool to, to hear, hear because yeah. i don't just interesting to hear what it looked like from the outside right um it felt like a dance it felt like an orchestra it felt like everyone who was there had a had a part um but yeah i was i was really in it very present in the moment so i have no idea but i'm glad i wasn't i'm glad i wasn't nasty <laughs> They are oh, phenomenal. And Vivian's. What is it, baby? Oh, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? Nothing. Got any comments? Just a yawn oh. and a wave of sorts. You have to see the video to get the full Vivian experience. Huh. <laughs> All right. Well, till next time, I guess. Till next time. Take self care of yourself. Take self care of yourself. Hey, we want to thank our loyal listeners and our community members for being with us today. As a reminder, Patrick and Natalie are still healing and recovering and getting to know Vivian, so personal messages are welcomed, but please be patient on the response time. I'd like to thank Takeda for their founding and continued support of the Bloodstream podcast. Thank you to the Bloodstream team for their work putting this episode together. And as always, thank you to Patrick, Natalie, and Vivian for your bravery, candor, and for inviting us into your lives. We are lucky to have you on among us. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Bloodstream Podcast and take self-care of yourself, everybody. Mm-hmm.